0: Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Therefore, there is no one, uh, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to teach, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive the host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of all the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects And to him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love.
1: Where the job's at? Derek couldn't make it, so I'm filling in today. We're going to do some construction, and I'm going to see how long I want to wear these bags <laughs> I want to do it the whole time. Uh, let's pray as we start. Father, thank you for the, just the chance to dive into your word. Thank you for giving us your word, and I thank you for uh, your spirit that guides us. Just guide us today. And we trust in you, in your name. Amen. Well, if you've been here the past few weeks, we've been talking through construction and uh, laying some foundations, working through a few different things. Um, we started with foundations. We looked at world views and what that means, and that's our concrete slab. So if you guys have done construction or you have any kind of familiarity with any building that's ever been built, you realize the importance of a foundation. And that is, um, that's what we talked through when we looked at the aspect of a Christian worldview, is having a solid foundation from which we're building upon, and from which the structure comes through. Your worldview is the lenses through which you view the world. It's the, um, it's the glasses you wear. It's the grid you filter things through when life events happen, when anything happens uh, or when you, even if you're evaluating scientific evidence, it's the worldview, the, gla- the grid you're filtering it through. We all do it, we all have them. There's no such thing as a non-bias worldview. We have to have the right one. And that's why we talked about um, the next thing, which is how we read the blueprints. So we kind of started with this building analogy and we've been working backwards. Um, we went, <clears throat> you know, we know we gotta have a good foundation gotta work backwards to the point where we see um, what are the blueprints that we're supposed to be working off of are we reading them consistently when you look at the measurements and the things on there are you deciphering them right are you just making them up as you go do you have any kind of education or training there it's very important that we're reading the blueprints which is the bible and that's the concept of uh, our hermeneutic how we interpret the bible we looked at that then we looked last week one step further back from that which is Knowing the architect, you know, if you don't even agree with the architect, you don't know the home builder, or you think that their ideas are stupid, it's going to change how you build the building. But also, conversely, the more you know the designer of the building, the more you personally have a relationship with them, and you know their heart behind it, especially if there's a very specific purpose for that building, it's going to change how you build the building. So knowing the architect comes from how we read the Word of God. Reading it correctly, we get to know him right. We, we read, and just as we just sang, we need to have Christ as the cornerstone for our foundation that we build on. But we, when we read the scriptures in the right way, we come to face-to-face with the, the Christ of scriptures. And that's what we've been looking at. But today, we get to start having fun. And this is when I, um, in construction, to me at least, this is the fun part, is when we get to start putting the framing up. And you get to really start seeing what the building looks like. You get to see um, what, you know... A concrete slab is a concrete slab. It always looks so small, right? Until you start putting the walls up, and you're like, man, that actually is a pretty big house or whatever it is. And, um, and this, is, this is where we, we start to have fun. Now, when I started this message um, this last week, and even as I've been looking forward to getting to here, uh, I thought we would actually do it this way. We talk about what the building is, and then we talk about how we fill it. You know, what's the purpose of the building? How are we going to fill it? what are we going to put on the walls, um, even like down to like the finish of, you know, where do you put the outlets, where do you put the plumbing, what kind of sink do you order, you know, all that, those final details, I thought that, that's Christian life, right, I mean, that's the purpose of the building, and, and but the more I looked at the text that we're going to be looking at today, I realized um, we're going to have to, we're going to have to talk more about what we're building next week, and this week we're going to have to look at this aspect of the materials that we're building with, and that really, uh, I hope you're going to see is is what um, what Christian life and and ap- applying some of this stuff is about. But I hope you're ready to get your hands dirty because we are going to we're going to dig in. We're going to get dirty and look at building today and and what that looks like. And that's why I'm dressed like uh, a wannabe carpenter today because um, I I do really good at that wannabe part of it. Um, uh, when, when we look at the scriptures, I want you, I want you to see um, there's a phrase that we've been kind of looking at and dodging around, um, <clears throat> and we're, we've been bouncing in and out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 um, throughout this whole series. So why don't you go ahead and turn there, because that's where we're going we're gonna to start. And actually, I told you, 1 Corinthians 3, let's, let's actually start in, in, um, in chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll go a little bit further in the book. We will come back back to three, but I'm getting ahead of myself. There's this phrase that we see throughout the New Testament, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's also sometimes used synonymously with what the church is. And this phrase has a couple applications. One of them is the fact that we are individually temples of the Holy Spirit. And then the other one is that we're corporately as a group, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I wanted to look at both of those together as we start here. Oops, wrong button. First off, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 tells us this. And again, as we talked about when we read a scripture, it's important to look at context. Um, and I always encourage you guys to do that. Whenever anyone else is up here speaking, I always am kind of zooming around, and sometimes a little get distracted, I know. But um, you look at the context of where we're at. Context of this, Paul has been carrying a thought that actually started the beginning of first corinthians but all the way up to this point now he's addressing sexual immorality in the church and he's talking about um, the fact that our bodies need to be pure they need to be set aside for god um, that when you when you are having relations with a prostitute or sexual immorality you're actually bonding to that person so he, his logical argument is why would you do that and in verse 19 um, this is his logic do you not know your body's a temple of the holy spirit within you whom you have from god You're not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. So there's this principle there, and and though that is the original context, you can look at anything that has to do with um, sins of the body, or things that have to do with our physical body. We have to start with this concept that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit individually. and The reason being, we were bought at a price. We were purchased. Now on Memorial Day, and as we look um, quite often on days like this, we look at the history of our country, and we look at the freedom that we have, and we thank God for that, and we are so thankful, as we just talked about, for the ability we have to worship and, and to just meet freely and speak openly. Some of those freedoms may be starting to disappear, um, but for the most part still, in comparison to other parts in the world, we have so many freedoms that we are so thankful for. The danger with the concept of freedom is sometimes we can, we can take it and we can start, I've talked about this before, we can start applying it to God himself. And we have to be careful about that. Freedom is a God-given gift. But if we start taking it and we say, oh, you know, I, we need to be free from the rule of anyone else. Um, you know, there should be no one ruling us. You know, especially we think of evil men ruling and, you know, taking over a country or, um, someone who's a, an evil dictator and we think no one should be in bond. Everyone should have freedom. That is true But as Christians we have to re- come under we have to come back underneath this concept of we should not be enslaved to anyone except for God Because God is the only one that is good and we have to be careful um, especially in the West where we don't take the concept of freedom and apply it back to God It's really hard for us good old Americans to swallow this, to let go of some pride and say, I am not my own. I don't get to call the shots. I've been purchased, but this is the very concept that we're looking at in this aspect of being a temple of the Holy spirit. You are not your own. If you came to Christ, he purchased you with his blood. You are his, and it has to be a starting place for you for this temple of the Holy spirit. We come under his authority. Um, In Ephesians, you know, it's probably going to be good for you to just keep a finger in Ephesians and Corinthians today because we're going to be flipping back and forth. In fact, I'm going to put a pencil right here because I'm going to be doing it back and forth too. But um, Ephesians and Corinthians complement each other so much. And the two two books, you can read them um, side by side when you look at how the church should be structured. But in Ephesians, this concept... um, of you know being purchased we are we are one with christ christ we are told in ephesians chapter 1 verse um verse 20 it says uh god raised him that is christ up from the dead and seated him at the at his right hand in the heavenly places verse 21 far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but in the age as to come that's where christ is seated and as we see down in chapter 2 verse 6 we see that we are raised up with him and seated with him so this aspect of christ being in charge of our life it's actually a good thing he's in charge of everything he's been given the name above every names he has been seated above all rule and authority and we are placed in him in that same authority but we have to remember he's the boss he's the general he's the one that is calling the shots And we have to let go of some of our own control of our life when we do that. When we look at the aspect of um, our bodies being temples of the Holy Spirit individually, there are a few application points that we look at. Um, First off, physical implications of this it it has to do with our diets. And I'm, you know, do not look at at me as a model in this area. Against my wife's better judgment, I had a, another bowl of ice cream while she had good self-control last night. Um, like, I'm working on this. But it is very important that we, we do see this. Remember earlier when we talked in this, um, this series, we talked about uh, this worldview that's crept in really actually since Plato of a division between physical and spiritual things, that spiritual things are somehow uh, more important or more valuable than physical um, that the physical things are kind of downplayed at the expense of spiritual, that dichotomy we talked about, separation between faith life and real life. This quite often, and the way, the way I was most of my life, played into how I look at my physical body. It's kind of like, well, it's just, it's just dust. It's just an earthly body. It's going to die, you know, but spiritual things are important. And I've recently, God's been working on me with this, uh, of showing me, no, like your soul, your body, they're intertwined in a way you don't understand. They impact each other. They influence each other. And you need, you need to take care of your body. And the reason, I'm living in it. I need, I need it to be healthy. I got work I want to do. Um, and, and you need to take care of it. And so what we eat, what we drink, um, influence is, it is important. Um, we are told in First Corinthians chapter 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so we need to remember that in what we eat and what we drink. This is the physical implications. Um, another one, you know, which goes right in with us is exercise, fitness, well-being, keeping ourselves healthy and making sure we're taking care of that. Um, some of the, the traditional things that have been branded with Christianity as things that we don't do, like Christians don't smoke, Christians don't drink. Um, they, many of them came from we're not supposed to be enslaved to anything, and that's true. Both of those things can be addicting, have very destructive consequences, but a lot of them come back to, it's just bad for your body. You're, you're infusing yourself with cancer, quite possibly, or you know, there's hardly very many good um, benefits to beer for your body, for instance. Uh, a little wine, Paul said, is good for your stomach, but these things, you know, um, they, they go back to, we, we, Remember, we talked about how sometimes application from scripture can become scripture itself for us. We have to be careful of that. We need to look at things. If you think you shouldn't smoke because it's bad for your body, do you hold that same standard to how many Pepsis you take or, or to how much junk food you're eating? It should be the same standard. It comes back to the same scriptures. Take care of your body. It's a temple of the Lord. So that's the physical side of this. Um, There's also sins against the body, like we just talked about, sexual immorality and things that impact you. And um, actually, in the specific context of that verse that we looked at, he makes a very clear point that he says, every other sin that you sin is outside the body, but he sins sexually is sinning against his own body. There's a lot to um, dive into with that, which we don't have time for today. But um, it's that same concept. Your body's a physical temple of the Holy Spirit. Treat it that way. Treat it with care and respect in the same way that you would treat the church of God. There are spiritual implications to this individual side of it, though, too, and that has to do with the thought life we, we entertain. Philippians 4.8, you guys know, talks about everything that we put into our mind. Make it true, noble, right, pure, um, praiseworthy. Those things, and, and what we dwell on inside, is it's feeding the spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, don't grieve the spirit of God. The spirit of God dwells within us. And what we bring in and what we meditate on what we dwell on can grieve him. This is the place where the Holy Spirit who dwells within us communicates with the rest of the Trinity. We're told in uh, Romans 8.26 that he intercedes for us. He groans with groans that we can't understand when he's talking to the Father, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. So these are spiritual implications that come from, from having the Holy Spirit dwell within us. But when we look at this aspect of the temple of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't just apply to us individually. And this is where it starts getting interesting, I think, for me. Go back over um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And again, we've been kind of bouncing in and out of this passage throughout this whole series. Um, as we've looked at specifically in verse 10, it talks about the, the foundation that's being laid, which is Christ. Um, but here we're going to look a little bit further. When we look at um, chapter 3, verse 16, I mentioned this before, but you read this verse, um, verses 16 and 17, and it says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now at first reading, especially if you're doing this in your quiet time, you'd, you'd say, oh, this is, this is a parallel verse to first Corinthians six, like I'm, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Cause he says you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But if you remember, this is one of those areas in scripture where if you do just a little bit of digging and you pull up one of those tools that helps you look at the original language, you see something that's missed in English. And that's that the words you are plural. They could be translated. And this is why I'd said before, you could translate them y'all or you all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the application here isn't just now to us individually, but it's saying you as a group, us as a group, everyone sitting in this group that's trusting the name of the Lord, we collectively make up the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, yes, in one sense, individually we are, but also collectively we make up the temple of the Holy Spirit. Go over to um, Ephesians chapter 2. Told you we're going to be flipping back and forth. Ephesians chapter 2 says the same thing. This other verse that we've kind of been skirting around and using here or there Uh, chapter 2 verses 19 starts and says so then you're no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place by god for god by the spirit Together we're being built into this dwelling place. And this is an important thing that we look at here. Um, The implications of this. When when we look at each other and we see that as a group we are the temple of God, um, we see that it's very important that we're building into each other, into the temple. And you look at it as when I'm just like a builder, these are the materials you're working with. Each other, working into each other's life. It's not just about personally developing a relationship with the Lord. It's about mutually encouraging one another, about growing one another, about encouraging each other in our faith. Um, And that's an important thing. Second thing, which we're going to look at this a little bit more in in a moment, so I'm not going to park on it here. I have a big note. Don't park on this now. Um, (laughs) But it's the fact that we're going to be judged on how we build into each other, and that's in the the earlier part of Chapter 3 here. Um, The whole theme up to date uh, or up through chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul was getting on to the Corinthians because they were saying, I like this teacher. He's my favorite. I like this teacher. He's my favorite. And they were creating early denominations in the church. And he was saying, when you do this, when you divide and you separate, you're missing the whole point. You're grieving the spirit because he's wanting to build one building. He's wanting to build one church. And when you go and you, you create your own little divisions and say, well, we're only going to focus on this doctrinal point, or we like this guy's teaching style, you're missing the greater point of the Holy Spirit, and that is, I want to build my church. I want to build one church. And so we need. To, these are all implications that we have when we look at the fact that corporately we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we look at, we're going to look at the materials that we're building with, but before we did, I thought it might be good... Um, to branch out just a little bit into biblical times and look at what they're building, because my analogies of building with wood frame houses or even steel frame buildings start to kind of fall apart um, to some degree or another, but not so much when you look at how houses were built back in the old Old Testament, New Testament. This was a typical around the time of Christ. This would have been a typical home. This would look like from the outside, um, you know, which is kind of cool. They have like an inner courtyard, and I actually like how these houses are built. A little place up on top of the roof, the the climate over in Israel is very similar to here, so there's a good good case to be made for um, rooftop dwelling, although there's something about a quarrelsome wife that deals with that, I don't know. Um, These, you can see though, the main thing about these homes is they were built with stone, they were built with rock, and if you were to look inside them, you'd see a lot, this is an actual, um, the remnants of one of the houses, it's been preserved, it's kind of something you can walk through when you go over there, um, but this is you can see all the blocks and the stones, and there's different, they're not all the same shape and size. There's different ones for different purposes. Um, sometimes, you know, they would have their ovens and things were built in. But the point is they're building with stone. I've never built with stone. Um, the idea of running electrical through stone terrifies me. Uh, I guess you have to do it externally, and all our modern conveniences probably don't apply as well in dealing with stone. But there's also probably a lot of benefits to it. What what was interesting as I looked at this was the fact that the materials they used they would um, they would specifically choose stones for a purpose. You know, again, they weren't all just coming out of factory the same shape and size. You know, an eight by sixteen cinder block. They were they were different stones that were cho- chosen, hewn. They were chiseled down to fit a purpose, and they all fit together. And I was thinking about how that applies. Um, to us. Um, I'm not going to go there yet. You know, just as far as a church, when we talk about the fact that we are individually supposed to be shaped and built by the Holy Spirit, that's him chiseling us, working on us, making us into that, that stone. But collectively, we also are building one building, and it's really actually quite a, a, a neat picture. When we think about what builds a church, that's really what this all comes down to. We've talked about all this stuff, foundation, architect, blueprints, whatever. But at the end of the day, what we're talking about is building the church. That's the structure we're building. And each of us make up a part of that. But typically when we look at, we think about what makes a good church, these are kind of the building blocks we might look at. Something like, you know, there's it's a bunch of people that are, that are centered around certain concepts or certain um, biblical themes, whether it's prayer or godly marriage or good teaching or... Um, moral purity, small groups. These are just some of. You guys could add your own blocks. When we think about what's a good church made out of, typically we kind of think of it in this way. Yet the picture that we see in scripture is that it's more built around people, individuals. And I wasn't going to draw a bunch of people, but if you think of, you know, these are singles and maybe a couple and maybe this is, you know, a couple with a kid and a single parent with three kids, poor single parent. Um, that's, That's a lot of work. Um, but there, this, this is the, the beautiful collection together. We all make up this building and and it's, it's a hodgepodge and and it's, it's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing that God puts together. But you have to look at what builds the church. It's not just moral principles. Yes, we need those. That's the foundation that comes from the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk from that. But the church itself is built of people that are shaped by the Holy Spirit. Um, the application points that we see from this is that we need to look and we need to let the Holy Spirit mold us individually. The same concept, we are not our own. The Holy Spirit owns you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose for your life. Um, it sometimes means there's a lot of chiseling. It sometimes means there's some pain. There might, there might be a lot of molding that has to go on before he, he makes you into the vessel that he has for you. But that is what, what this whole process is going to be. Sometimes, and you guys know this, Psalms talks about how iron sharpens iron. And our relationships with each other. We, the Holy Spirit, as he's working through us, will quite often use others to chisel on you. And sometimes you to others. We have to be okay with that. Let, let go of your, your guards, your defenses. When someone comes at you and says, hey, I don't know how to say this, but I see a sin in your life. Don't don't get defensive. You have to recognize that immediately as the builder is working. That's not not Larry coming and talking to me right now. That's the Holy Spirit moving through Larry to talk to me right now. That, you know, this is is God using the body to work on each other. And and it's because he's building something. But this aspect um, also that we have spiritual gifts that we're given. The Holy Spirit gifts each of us for building each other up. This is what I had... Um, Jeff Reed um, is this whole aspect in chapter four of Ephesians if you're still there you see as you go down to verse 11 he says he gave apostles he gave prophets evangelists shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry which is fulfilling the great commission that is the work of the ministry and for building up the body of Christ when until we attain unity of faith and knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, Christ is building us. He's given us gifts. The Spirit is interacting us and working us because he has something bigger than us that he wants to build. Um, further application points that we look here. And this is what I had said earlier. Turn back to 1 Corinthians 3, and let's let's unpack this passage here. <clears throat> we already looked at verses 16 and 17 that showed that This is talking about God's collective temple. But the passage that immediately precedes it is actually quite profound when you think about it this way. Typically when we read this, we read this as um, we take it and we make it an individual application to each of our lives. And this this passage is talking about um, uh, what is commonly called by theologians is the Bema Seat Judgment. So one day we're going to stand before Christ if we trusted in him, we're going to stand before the bema seat judgment. This is not a judgment that decides whether you go to heaven or hell. That is a different judgment, and that judgment if you trusted in Christ, it was rendered on Christ. So if you've trusted in Christ, there is no question. You're not going there's no no issue about whether you're going to heaven or hell. This is a different. The bema seat in the Greek was actually a time after like an athletic competition where they would do awards they would give out awards. It was an exciting time. It wasn't, it wasn't like a depressing, oh great, I'm dreading the Bama seat. It was like the Olympic um, podium, as it were, where they, they would be giving out wreaths and stuff. And it's important for us to look, first and foremost, when we look at this judgment, as this is a time to look forward to. God is looking forward to it. He wants to reward us. He is excited to reward us. But the basis for which he's gonna reward us, at least in this passage, uh, is interesting starting in verse 12 it says if anyone builds on the foundation that is christ with gold silver precious stones wood hay or straw each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned up he will suffer loss though he himself would be saved, though as through fire. So that's the same aspect. This isn't talking about whether you're going to be destroyed in the fire and and wiped out. Like, you'll make it. You just won't have anything left over. God wants us to be building with the good materials here, the, the gems, the gold, the precious metals. But what's interesting is you look at the whole context here. We're talking about building the church. Paul says, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building on it. You guys are also supposed to be building on it. And you're supposed to be building on it with the right materials. But when we look at the whole picture, we are the church. We're individually stones. We, are in, we let the Holy Spirit work through us to build into each other. Then you see this aspect of the, the, the precious metals, the gold. When we're building, we're building into each other. And this judgment is speaking to the fact that one day you're going to be judged by fire, to test what you built into each other, how you built the church. How did you build into another? How did you build into each other's lives? What are you you talking to um, your brothers and sisters about? Go over to Ephesians. Flip back over there. Because he's carrying the same kind of theme in chapter 4. You know, he talked about building there. And as he gets down later in chapter 4, he talks, uh, and we're looking at verse 25, he says, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth of his brother, for we are members of one another. We're all part of the same church. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go on your wrath. He goes down through a whole list of a bunch of commands here, and they're like kind of like rapid fire. I'm not even going to go through every one of them. But the main underlying um, purpose and undercutting things that he gives are, one, we are members of one another. Two, we should be building each other up. And three, we shouldn't be grieving the Holy Spirit. That verse we read earlier about grieving the Holy Spirit's right in the middle of this. You're supposed to be building each other up. You're, you're, you're members of one another. Don't be grieving the Holy Spirit. Let him do his work. Build into each other, with, not with wood, hay, stubble, but with, with costly things. Um, I, I was thinking just, you know... Some of the, one of the verses in here, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building others up as fit the occasions, that it may give grace to those who hear. How often is my tongue just out of control? You know, and how I don't know if you guys struggle with that too. But I think a lot of times I, we, we take this and we say, oh, well, I don't use those four letter words, I don't use like the blacklist words that we're not supposed to say as Christians. It's not talking about that. If you actually reverse the application here and you decide I should only be speaking things that is building others up and everything else is wood, hay, and straw, well then really starts getting convicting. How much time did I spend talking with others about the Netflix shows I was watching? Or how much time did I spend um, talking about just even my career and things that don't last for eternity? Your favorite sports team, whatever your hobby is, whatever, whatever it is that um, is, is your passion, when you don't really just feel like switching on that switch and switching into spiritual mode. You just want to talk about blah. It's wood, hay, and stubble. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes, I'm not saying like everything we say can always be that way. That's, it's unrealistic to be that way, but you need to be aware that when you talk to your brothers and sisters, you need to know when you're, you're spewing wood, hay, and straw, and when you're spewing gold, gems, precious materials. Are you helping that person? Are you encouraging them in their prayer life or, or their Bible reading or in their walk with the Lord? Are you encouraging them in their reliance upon the Holy Spirit? That is what it means to be building into each other and building for eternity. That's what we're going to be judged for. It's hard for us to wrap our mind about them, but every one of us is going to stand before that day and, and, and we're going to be judged by fire. It will happen. So what's it going to look like? Ultimately, um, and this is kind of as we come towards a close here, I wanted to remind us and come back to Christ, our cornerstone. We, talked, we sang about that today. We've been seeing that all throughout these passages. And Ephesians chapter 2 was one of the main places we looked at it. Um, you can write it down, 1 Peter chapter 2 um, also talks about this, talks about us being living stones built together, built upon the, the cornerstone that was rejected ultimately christ is our cornerstone remember what the cornerstone was today when we build a house we have a laser level or we have you know really good measurement tools things that set a standard but back in that time the cornerstone was essentially the standard that you're building off so when we look at christ he's not just the foundation for our worldview. he's not just the foundation that we build upon he's also the example that we build off of and so we look at some of the things that we see of christ in the scripture Um, he laid aside his own desires. And, And these are all the, these are just, I think I picked five or six passages where he says, not my will, but thine be done. He was God in the flesh. He could have done whatever he wanted, but he made a very specific point in everything that he did that it's not my will, it's the Father's. I'm not doing my own will, I'm doing the Father's. I'm his. And he was doing that to give us an example. Philippians 2 tells us he restrained himself emptied himself, submitted to death, even death on a cross. He had a deep prayer life. He was in communion with the Trinity. You think, well, did he really need that? Did he need to pray? Apparently. You can see that. Those are just a couple verses, but there's more throughout the scriptures. You see, he went away to pray. He spent time with the Father. Other things he's an example in. He was okay to rest. You really look at his life, he only ministered for three years at the prime of our lives. You know, early 30s, right? And, and you think, well, he's got all the energy. He's got, the, you know, he sh- shouldn't have taken a break. I mean, shouldn't have even slept. He's only got three years to finish what he's got to get done. And yet, he would go away to a quiet place. He would, he would take his disciples and show them that, let's go away to a quiet place. He was okay to rest. Remarkably, too, we see in John 17, He was able to say at the end of those three years i've finished the work you gave me i read an article recently that's been very convicting to me and i'm working on applying um, called uh, the tyranny of the urgent some of you have read it i'm sure but it talked about the fact that here's here's a man that he, he only he only lived three years and at the end of his ministry there's thousands of people that don't know the lord that haven't heard the good news that don't know the gospel that haven't even been healed You know, here he has this great healing ministry, and there's a lot of undone work, and yet he is okay saying, I'm done. And it comes back to his reliance on the, and and dependence on the Father, that he was, I'm in the Father's will. This is what God gave me to do, and I'm okay with that. Jesus also modeled for us that he was confident in, and he relied upon the Spirit. Again, it's, it's a mystery of the Trinity. Why did he have to do this? And I think at least it was to be our example but he was dependent on the, the Holy Spirit, so so much more should we. I had thought today about going through all these basics, you know, of, like, we need some basic foundational principles for all these kinds of hot topics, and uh, many of you were like, yeah, right, Derek, <laughs> you're going to cover all those things, and I, I listened to your advice. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about a single one. Uh, but what I thought instead is, when we look at basic foundations, when we look at what undercuts all this stuff. We we need a good, solid why behind it. Why is it that we do any of this stuff? Why get married? Or why stay single? Why are you going to have kids? Or why don't you want to have kids? Why does it matter what you do with your finances? Why does it matter what you do with your health? Why does it matter what you do with your um, civil responsibilities? Anything like that. You need a good, solid why. That's this worldview we've been talking about. But they should come under the umbrella of, I think, at least two things. One of them is this magnificent of obsession with the glory of God. Some have called it. I've heard that coming through in a few different theologians that talk about this idea of just being obsessed with the glory of God. When you ask a question, why should I get married? It shouldn't be, well, <laughs> everyone gets married. Like, duh, because, because I'm supposed to love. I have all this love I need to give someone. That may be a good reason. It may be what God's leading you to. But does it have to do with, with glorifying God? Is that the first reason you're getting married? Is it, conversely, the reason you're getting single? Or are you just staying single because you can't find anyone that's a match for you? Have you prayed about getting married because you want to glorify God in a, in a greater way? It also comes under, and that's I picked on marriage, but there's other things. Is it for this other thing we talked about today? Does it help the church? Does it grow the church? Is it building up? Is it what you feel the Holy Spirit's leading you to do in order to grow the church? The traditional church model I think we have is we kind of expect that the Holy Spirit works in this way, that it's at the top, he works down to the leadership, and then the church is, is dispersing. So you come here on a Sunday morning, you hope that the speaker and the music and everyone, they're being led by the Holy Spirit and that they're, they're just on fire and that you can get something that you can take home. The remarkable thing that i think i don't know when we started doing that but i don't think it's the biblical model to me from what i can see the biblical model is a lot more like this where we have the holy spirit is working on each and every one of our hearts the bible says we all have the same spirit and i want you to turn to this passage to close out today because it's kind of a lead-in for next week that's we're going to really dig into looking at the structure what the church is next week and its function But this is where it starts. This is where it begins. Verse 4 of chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians says, There is a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all. We all have the same Spirit, if you've trusted in Christ. If you haven't, then things might be a little confusing for you right now. But some of us have been quenching the holy spirit for so long we're we we do not even know if we're saved anymore and that's a very realistic possibility too once you've trusted in christ you are saved you have the spirit but maybe you need to break down some walls you need to say holy spirit what do you want to be doing through me how am i supposed to be taking part in building up this church your church throughout the globe what does it look like we have the same spirit we have the same lord and we need to get in tune with him individually As we become the church and then those arrows that kind of go back and forth interact that's us working and and sharpening each other and um, And calling out sin and not being defensive about it and receiving correction This is all part of what it means to be the church in the body of christ And I encourage us um, myself, especially But every one of us to strive for that more uh, As we go throughout this week next week, we'll wrap up the series. We're going to look at the church Specifically what it is, um its function, both the local church, like our church, how it ties into the universal church. We're gonna look at the church in eternity and um, God's heart for it. But um, for now, it, this is where we'll have to stop for today. So let's close in prayer. Father, you are our, uh, you are our architect, our general contractor. You're the one that's calling the shots. And we, um, we thank you that you've got it all figured out. We can, we can rest before you sounds so trite to say, but um, Lord, you are are truly, uh, you're not worried, you're not stressed out, you're building what you want to build. And I just, I ask for grace in my heart, every one of our hearts, to be in tune with your spirit, to know what it is that your spirit is doing, both here at this church and around the world, that we can catch his heart, and that we can truly just be um, building the same thing with you together. We love you and uh, and just ask for your grace as we move forward through this week. In your name we pray. Amen.